And now, Arden Sports Incorporated presents the Squared Circle Collection. Welcome everyone to the debut edition of the Squared Circle Collection. I'm your host with the most, MJR, and I am thrilled to welcome you here to our pilot episode, our debut of the Squared Circle Collection podcast. We are so thrilled to have you, and by we, I mean me, because right now for this debut pilot episode, it's just going to be me and you, and before we get into things, I thought I would clarify this podcast, which is going to focus on all things pro wrestling, especially the good stuff from back in the day, it's not going to be anything fancy. It's straight up going to be myself and my phone hitting record and chatting away. This uh, needs to be said because if you're expecting a lot of frills, if you're expecting sound effects and edit jobs and all of these real shiny bells and whistles, I'm probably going to send you somewhere else. This is not the podcast for you. Instead, this is just starting off as a little project out of the home studio. As you know, we are all cooped up in the house right now during these unprecedented times with COVID-19, the coronavirus that has created a pandemic across the nation for all of us. And so I thought this would be a wonderful opportunity to sit down, hit record, have a little drink ski of choice. Today it's just a little cup of hibiscus tea, welcoming you to have a little drink with me and just chat about the good old days when it comes to professional wrestling. There's so much going on in the WWE right now. AEW is red hot as well. We've got other promotions, Ring of Honor, so much going on on the independent scene. But if you're anything like me, you can't help but smile when you look back to the good old days of pro wrestling. For me, that happens to be the 80s and 90s, which is when I grew up as a kid. And if that's where you fall, then welcome aboard. Like I said, grab a cup of tea, a coffee, a beverage of your choice, and let's just sit back. Let's enjoy. Let's work through the Squared Circle together here at the Squared Circle Collection. We're going to be doing a lot of things through the next batch of episodes. I don't know how many episodes we're going to have. I don't know exactly what things will look like. I do know that in the future, I plan on getting a variety of guests to come in and chat with me, to chat with us. Uh, we'll be taking questions if anyone ever sends them in. We're going to have special guests joining through the phone, different people involved in the pro wrestling industry to sort of get us along on the on the narrative of pro wrestling. But for today... As I said, it's just going to be me and my microphone chatting with you, uh, almost as if we're sitting back on the couch together like a couple of old friends just going over the good old days of pro wrestling. And I thought, since this is the debut episode of the Squared Circle Collection, what better place to start than with another debut episode of the flagship program for the WWE, which back in the day was the WWF, as we all knew and loved it. Why not start with the debut episode of Monday Night Raw? And I thought, for those of us who have the WWE Network, let's put it to use, especially during these unprecedented times with the COVID and everything else that's keeping us cooped up at home. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to encourage you to do the same. Fire up the WWE Network, navigate over to the section for Raw, and call up that debut 1993 episode from January 11th, originating out of the Grand Ballroom in the infamous Manhattan Center in New York City. And let's watch along. Uh, I'm essentially going to hit play right here have it wired through to my earphones, and I'm going to be enjoying the episode and offering a little bit of commentary as a fan, things that I remembered from back in the 90s as a kid watching it, things I was thinking at the time, what I'm thinking about it now, all these years later, with everything that we know uh, now that the years have gone by, and just sort of everything in between. And I'm sure that at more than one occasion, you're going to share the same views as me. You might share the different uh, sort of view than I do, which is awesome as well. 
that's one of the beauties of pro wrestling. We're all entitled to our opinions. We share in a lot, uh, which is super rad, but we also have our own likes and dislikes when it comes to the World Wrestling Federation or any of the other companies uh, that we have been fans of, uh, of over the years. So without further ado, as I queue up the debut episode from January 11th of 93, I took a quick look at the card. We can expect four matches on this debut episode, Yokozuna versus Coco Beware. We've got tag team action, the Steiner Brothers versus the Executioners. We're going to have an IC title match, Shawn Michaels, the Intercontinental Champion, defending against Max Moon, and we'll close things out with the Undertaker versus Damian Demento. That's quite the card for the debut edition of Monday Night Raw. Without further ado... I'll count us in. If you're not quite there yet with the network, you can just hit pause. And when you call up the episode, you can resume here. Getting ready to press play on the debut episode of Monday Night Raw in three, two, one, play. Nice little cold open here. Sean Mooney welcoming us to outside the Manhattan Center in New York City. I'm sure we can all remember this, uh, this cold open as well as the whole storyline that continues throughout the debut episode of Raw, which was Bobby the Brain Heenan trying to get into the venue and Sean Mooney basically telling him, brain we're full to the rafters it's absolutely sold out you're not getting in and the brain's having nothing to do with it he's arguing right now trying to get his way in but clearly doesn't have enough clout as we go to the original opening of wwf monday night raw nice graphics we saw razor the hitman another razor's edge at the time of course this is 1993 a real Weird time for the WWF where there was a steroid scandal and all that kind of political stuff happening behind the scenes uh, with Vince and Hogan and all of that. So this is about the time Bret Hart's the current WWF champ. He's sort of taken the, the, the whole league on his shoulders. Vince giving him the belt and, and running with Bret as the main guy. And as we make our way through these episodes, we'll see the uh, what I think is the terrific job that Brett did this whole time as the champ during a very, very tough go for the WWF. Ringside here, we've got Vince, classic on the commentary booth, joined by Macho Man Randy Savage, who at this point was sort of transitioning away from in-ring competition and you know serving as Vince's right-hand man at the commentary booth. On the other side of Vince... We've got Rob Bartlett, somebody we, we might all wish we could forget on commentary. No disrespect to him. I know he was a very famous comedian. I know that Vince, um, the, the goal with Vince getting him on board was to bring a fresh set of eyes and, and a new fresh voice to the commentary team, somebody on the outside who can come in and give that new perspective. But, you know, spoiler alert, it didn't really work out for uh, Mr. Bartlett or for Vince or for anybody in the company. Uh, I was listening recently to a, a podcast where Bartlett was, I, I believe, being interviewed by Sean Mooney, uh, go figure, of WWF fame. And, and he agreed, you know, that he enjoyed his time, but it, it just wasn't working out. It just wasn't the right fit. So either way, we'll enjoy having him here leading us through the debut episode of Raw with Randy and Vince. Coco Beware already in the ring for the first contest. Yokozuna coming in. Nice little ceremonial entry there. With his manager, Mr. Fuji. Yokozuna right now just an absolute beast. I don't know what he was weighing in at the time. I missed the announcement, but somewhere 500-ish pounds, give or take. I remember as a kid hearing that weight fluctuate. And at one point, it got super heavy, like maybe mid-500s, maybe above. Don't quote me on it. Either way, big, big man, big personality. Of course, at the time as a kid, I didn't realize here was a Samoan dude uh, trying to pass off as being Japanese. 
as a kid, I totally bought the fact that Yokozuna was Japanese, and that he was an, an ex-sumo wrestler, and that he was going to kick some serious tail here as he tosses the ceremonial salt into the corner, and we're going to get things underway here. I know at this time, Yoko's obviously being poised. He's going to be heading into the main event position soon, challenging for a title down the road at a WrestleMania. We'll talk about that another time. For now, he's facing the Birdman, Coco Beware. Classic USA chant from the Manhattan Center crowd. Something I couldn't identify with as a kid. I grew up in Canada. Um, or maybe I should say I totally identified with it. I remember chanting USA for for everything whenever the crowd would chant. So... Thanks, WWF, for giving me a uh, national cr- nationality crisis as a, as a young man. Maybe that explains to this day why I still love the United States of America so darn much. Dates back to all of my USA chants for Hacksaw or Hulk Hogan or, in this case, on the debut episode of Raw, Coco Beware, who's just happening to go up against a non-American. You gotta love wrestling. Coco Beware at this point in his high energy garb. I recognize the awful lime greenish type pant with the with the checkered with the checkered sort of uh, suspenders that Coco's got going on and part of high energy that tag team with the Rocket Owen Hart. Rest in peace, one of my favorites, Owen but singles action here, we've got Coco trying to get something going against Yoko, and it's just not working. Yoko Zuna not having any of it. Raw was so different, especially as like as we're getting started here. Not only was it live in this case, of course they didn't do live every week. I know that they were taped a lot of the times. But it was just so different in the in the fact that you were starting to see high profile matches more regularly during the weekly shows right gone were the days of uh you know maybe one attraction match during a televised show and the rest were were sort of a strong character versus uh, versus a jobber versus someone who was destined to lose here with raw you know it was always a little more interesting there was a little more guesswork a lot of the time about who was going to win who was going to come on top between the two competitors in the ring. Although in this case, you know, I don't want to play spoiler, but I think we could assume that Coco doesn't stand much of a chance against Yokozuna. He was just too big, too strong, uh, and he was he was being marketed by Vince and company as, as a dominant force. So I don't want to give anything away. You know, I won't even look ahead to the results and my memory isn't all that it used to be, but I'm sure I could make an educated guess right now even if I don't remember the end of this match watching it as a kid I could I could pretty much say that Yoko's gonna take care of business here against Coco Beware big splash in the corner forget about it says Vince gotta love Vince commentary you gotta love the Ico Pro banner being hung from the rafters speaking of things you loved as a kid I remember I didn't know what Ico Pro was as a kid, but I wanted it. Devastating maneuver. The big bonsai drop gets the one, two, three victory for Yokozuna, as we suspected. Speaking of the Ico Pro, though, like I said, as a as a young boy, I remember watching they had a series of of different like commercials or vignettes or whatever you want to call it, of the different superstars at the time. And I remember as a huge Bret Hart fan, you'll hear a lot through this podcast, I'm sure. We're just getting started, but episode to episode, I'm sure I'll reveal my colors as a pink and black attack for life fan. I'm, I'm a hitman guy through and through. Uh, I just think he's one of the best workers of all time. And he was a Canadian hero for me. So uh, I just remember that one vignette of, of the hitman working out with the Ico Pro tank on and saying something like, you got to want it. So I just knew I wanted it. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know it was a supplement of some kind. I just thought, hey, this can make me tough like the Hitman. 
And I still see that banner and it's super badass. I think you could actually buy a banner like that online. They sell tons of the old school banners uh, for relatively inexpensive prices all over the internet. I'm not endorsing, uh, you know, buying anything that's not licensed officially. I'm just saying I've, I've seen that they're available. And there you have it, a nice little promo for the upcoming Royal Rumble. This episode here, debut edition of Raw, taking us to the 1993 Royal Rumble happening soon. Speaking of Brett, world champ, WWF champ at the time, he will be defending against Razor Ramon at the Royal Rumble coming up. Razor Ramon, a relative newcomer to the WWF. I think he had been around for like eight months at the time. Of course, Razor Ramon being played by Scott Hall. And uh, that was going to be a tilt coming up. The narcissist. Notice he didn't say narcissist. At this point, it was the narcissist. Keenan on camera right now in a pre-taped interview introducing Lex Luger as the narcissist. <laughs> the brain cutting a promo for the narcissist or the narcissist, as he would soon to be called, Lex Luger, up against Mr. Perfect, who we remember Bobby used to align himself with. The Brain and Perfect were very closely linked in, in both of their careers. But now Mr. Perfect made the transition to a face or a good guy, and he will be up against Lex Luger soon enough. And Heenan, of course, taking credit here on camera as the one who brought Luger to the WWF. Of course, Luger had already found great fame for himself in, in other promotions, but starting up with this narcissist slash narcissist angle where he was just going to come in and be so pretty and stand in front of mirrors and look jacked. Good old Lex Luger. Something to look forward to there. As we move into the second match of the night, it's going to be a tag team contest. Rick and Scott, the Steiner brothers, making their way down the very short aisle. I forgot how short that aisle was. The nice little neon WWF in place that used to be there at other shows like Superstars. I love an aisleway like that. You know, I can't help but look back and just think, not just the aisleway, the whole venue, right? It's just so contained and everybody's so close and just the setup, so awesome. It just creates that intimacy that I feel that a lot of the current shows are missing. There's something to be said about, you know, packing 80,000 people in an arena and a stadium for, for a show like Mania these days. But there's also something to be said about having, you know, a very small, intimate group of people together and that tight feeling, the, the wrestlers being right up there, up close and personal with the fans. And as I'm talking, I, I can't help but see the clown walking across the back. It's like a game of where's Waldo? Where's Doink? It's running through the, the hard camera angle there, messing with some of the fans. Doink the clown making a name for himself. As this match started up here, Steiner Brothers in control against the Executioners. We didn't know much about the Executioners back then. As a kid, I remember it was Executioner 1 and Executioner 2. Nowadays, finding out that one of the Executioners was uh, Barry Hardy, I believe. If my memory serves me well. And the other Executioner, none other than Dwayne Gill, who would go on to perform as Gilberg during the Attitude Era, during the Monday Night Wars when Bill Goldberg was so huge on his streak for WCW, Vince's answer was to turn Dwayne Gill into Gilberg and basically be a, I was going to say a second rate Goldberg. I don't even know if he would be a 102nd rate version of Goldberg, but it was hilarious stuff. But before he was Gilberg, here's Dwayne Gill as one of the executioners getting uh, his butt handed to him here along with his partner, Barry Hardy. 
get back in the ring, in the ring, you wussy. I think that was Bartlett. Again, not the best commentary coming from somebody on the outside. But he's trying. He's injecting his own sense of humor as best as he can. So A for effort. Scott Steiner looking jacked as always. Always had a fantastic physique. Nice suplex there. You know, these guys could wrestle undoubtedly, the Steiner brothers. I look back at 1993 Scott Steiner, and if you're anything like me, you can't help but not see current Scott Steiner, or at least I can, maybe I should say like late 90s Scott Steiner, early 2000s Scott Steiner, and then the Steiner that we continue to see through the 2000s to now. I saw him recently. I think he's looking... He's still, he's still trying to create that look that he's uh, made for himself, but we'll leave it at that. Nice maneuver there from the boys. Big bulldog off the top rope. And the victory secured by the Steiner brothers. No surprise there. I guess I want to maybe half take back what I said about what I said earlier in the podcast about how one of the draws of Monday Night Raw is that the matchups were a little more hard to guess who was going to come on top it was less less you know jobberville but so far we we kind of knew coco beware was going to go down to yokozuna and we knew that the executioners were going to go down to the steiner brothers as we go back here to the outside of the manhattan center look at this this uh irate female fan trying to get in sean mooney Hearing that it's Rob Bartlett's aunt trying to get in. What's he going to do? <laughs> what? Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan in drag. Who saw that coming? You got to love it. That innocent fun of 1993 Monday Night Raw. Coming up next, a little graphic with the bad guy. Razor Ramon, special interview. Back from commercial break. Look at this outfit. You gotta love it. He's a bad guy. Not just the bad guy. He's a bad guy here and still getting a nice crowd response. And the obligatory 90s, you know, booze with the, with the thumbs down. Scott Hall, Razor Ramon. Toothpick in mouth, gold around his neck. I don't know what brand of shirt that is, but it looks expensive for the time. You gotta love it. Chico. Razor saying the golden opportunity at Royal Rumble has Razor Ramon written all over it. Gold around his neck and wants gold around his waist. I love it. Of course, big things would be coming up uh, for a Razor Ramon storyline with the Lightning Kid, also known as L Kid, also known as the 123 Kid who would later go on to be X-Pac. Nice little storyline coming up for Razor with, with the kid. But for now, chirping up Bret Hart, the current champ, saying it was eight and a half years for the hitman to get his first taste of gold and how it's only going to take eight and a half months for Razor to get it. I guess we'll find out at the Royal Rumble how it goes, Razor. Vince alluding to the fact that this past weekend, Razor had jumped Hitman's brother, Owen Hart. There's a nice little flashback to Mania from the weekend. WWF Mania. Remember that show? Razor just... Beating on Owen Hart in his MC Hammer style pants. Rest in peace, Owen. Something so lovable about that guy. 
Can't believe he's not in the Hall of Fame, by the way. I'm sure speaking on behalf of every wrestling fan. But that's a whole podcast in and of itself. The issues behind Owen Hart not being in the Hall of Fame as it stands right now. Speaking of which, Hall of Fame canceled for this upcoming weekend. Obviously with the coronavirus um, wreaking havoc on everyone's plans. Mania is going to be a two-day event with no fans and all of the extra stuff, including the Hall of Fame, postponed until further notice, which I believe was the right call to postpone. <laughs> Razor just tossed the, the toothpick right in Vince's face and the crowd popped. You got to love it. But as I was saying, I believe it was the right call, current day WWE, to postpone the Hall of Fame ceremony. Uh, which is going to feature Owen's brother-in-law, uh, David Boy Smith, the British Bulldog. But I guess a lot of people also say maybe they should have just postponed the whole thing. This two days of mania, no fans, a lot of the guys pulling out of the card. For example, Roman Reigns, who, you know, rightfully so, with his uh, his health history with leukemia, having battled and beaten leukemia on several occasions, you know, Roman Reigns not wanting anything to do with uh, performing at WrestleMania after The Miz evidently or apparently showed up to work with uh, flu-like symptoms and and just so much else going on with the card. I know it's not what they originally intended it to be. So that's neither here nor there. We're, we're focusing on the debut edition of Monday Night Raw, January 11th, 1993. A little watch along here, Network Classic with MJR. You're listening to the debut podcast episode of the Squared Circle Collection. We had a nice little promo cut from Tatanka. I didn't hear what he said, but I heard his war cry. And now in the ring, ready for his Intercontinental Championship opportunity is Mr. Max Moon. Taking on the champ. The one and only, the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. Look at him, strutting into the ring. Blue strap, full red suit. Sensational Sherry still singing the, the theme of Shawn. We didn't, we didn't convert yet to Shawn doing the vocals on his own theme. This is still... Sherry on vocals, even though Sherry is not accompanying him uh, to the ring anymore here. Man, sensational Sherry. Speaking of uh, ones that were mourning the loss of, that's uh, that was a huge loss, even though it was a long time ago now. Sensational Sherry, what a pioneer. And one of the many things she did was, I believe, help to make Shawn Michaels' career. And Shawn himself has said in various interviews, that Sherry really helped to bring him to the next level. So you can't help but agree with the guy. As we get things underway, bell's gone off. Max Moon looking to get a taste of Intercontinental Gold against the champ, Shawn Michaels. Max Moon, of course, the character, for those who might not know, started, um, started by Conan, who would go on to, to WCW fame. Conan, when he was having his first little run with the WWF, I believe was the one who kind of got that Max Moon character going. And uh, and then it just didn't work out between WWF and Conan. I think Conan was busy maybe out in Puerto Rico doing a bunch of shows and whatever. So the timing just wasn't there or whatever else. I don't know. I don't know the backstory, but I know that the Max Moon character then got sort of switched off to someone else and so in the ring right now we've got paul diamond as max moon he was for those who don't remember paul diamond by that name uh, he was kato from the orient express one half of that tag team remember the orient express here he is as max moon having his way a little bit with the champ he's got sean on his stomach nice little lock here you got to love old school matches. One thing I miss is something like this. Telling the story, but also finding time to slow things down, putting your opponent in a little stretch. 
you know, giving both competitors a nice little breather. I just feel like we don't see enough of that in current day wrestling. I know that, especially in a lot of the independent promotions, I feel that a lot of the guys are just taking these chances, move after move, high risk, always trying to get that big, you know, that big pop, but I don't know if that's the way to do it. I think there's something to be said about slow and methodical and as well as the high spots, but maybe I'm just old school in my opinions and you might be too if that's that's why you're here. Talking old school, WWF, the January 11th, 1993 episode, debut, Monday Night Raw, debut Squared Circle Collection. Sean now in control, putting the boots to Max Moon. Nice little Ico Pro banner shot again. How about the three colored ropes too? Just the little things you forget about being a wrestling fan. You don't forget about them, but you become so wrapped up in the way things are in current day that you get a nice little glimpse watching something back and it just brings a smile to your face. Makes me smile to see the red, white, and blue ropes. Just so traditional. Something so classic about it. Lots of character to these old venues and rings. There's Doink now. He's made his way out of the crowd and he's right in the aisleway toying with the crowd. Ringside. Doink scared me back in the day. Maybe I was young. 1993, I was about 10. 10 years old and I just, especially when they really marketed him as the evil clown and his music had that ominous sound to it. I think I was a little bit perturbed, maybe not scared, but perturbed of Doink. Rob Bartlett talking about Oprah Winfrey and Lord knows what else, trying to get his <laughs> trying to get his two cents into the commentary team. Macho Man I think held his own as a commentator. I know he was sort of making his way out of the the in-ring performer stance into somebody who's sitting at the commentary booth. I don't think it ever sat well with with Randy. I think that from anything I've seen in interviews or behind the scenes sort of thing, he always wanted to still be the guy in the ring. And I think that's why he eventually sort of made his way over to WCW where he did have another good run. But I think he held his own as a commentator. You know, just such a recognizable voice. Somebody you respect, his opinion. He was playing the good guy. At this point, so as a kid in the 90s, you'd get behind that and be extra jacked to see the Macho Man in any capacity, even if it was just at ringside. Still dressed to the nines. Best dressed commentator, perhaps, ever. As Vince on commentary, treating every count as if it's going to be a three count. <laughs> Gotta love it. The enthusiasm of the old commentary teams. Again, something I think that just different nowadays. The goal of this podcast is to never knock how things are, but just different. I feel like the commentary being so passionate back in the day helped to really further the stories. You know, you got Sean and you got Max Moon here doing a lot of slow holds in the ring, which is not the most exciting, but thanks to the commentary of Vince, Randy, you know, their, their banter back and forth, they really helped to progress the story whereas i think maybe the current commentary teams lack in that capacity not that i'm a professional in any way i mean they do the jobs as professionals i've got so much respect for them who am i to say otherwise but as a fan i know what i liked and uh, that was always vince with so much vigor and excitement you know everything what up what am i over everything was just so there was another, another for those watching along on the network, he just gave another bag maneuver count. What a maneuver. Unbelievable, says Vince. Over the top rope, Max Moon sending heartbreak kid. And now Max Moon looking for a little high risk. Cannonball. Unbelievable maneuver, says Vince. And a high risk maneuver. You have to love it. The number of times maneuver is said in any 1993 episode of Monday Night Raw. 
by yours truly, Vince McMahon. That in itself is something that you just can't ever replace with the current commentary team. Max Moon looking kind of strong right now, getting his getting his moves in on the current champ. Another near fall. Crowds uh crowds hanging on to see what's gonna happen. Big kick. Sweet chin music, as we've come to know it. Just delivered from Shawn Michaels, but not as a finishing maneuver. It's a nice little segue there for his real finisher. Going for that teardrop suplex. Nails it. That's got to be it. The cover, the count, the victory. Still, should I say, and still. World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion, the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. Classic HBK fixing his mullet, looking at his reflection in that beautiful strap. Can't, uh, you can't make this stuff up. Those were the days, folks. As we find ourselves now, just 15 minutes left in the episode. Two matches still on deck. That's where things get interesting. Maybe timing wasn't necessarily the WWF's thing here on their first live broadcast of a Monday night show. But before we get to the next contest, a nice classic advertisement for 100% caffeine-free WWF mania Saturday mornings on the USA Network. I think that was hosted by Todd Pettengill, right? Speaking of people we miss in the industry, that's somebody I used to love. I still love him when I watch his stuff. Todd Pettengill, very, very talented. He was a radio guy, I believe, and then he did his radio thing at the same time, finding time to, to get his WWF uh, gig going. And, and I thought he did a fantastic job following under the... The, di- the direction of this legend that's on the screen right now for those watching along on the network taking us through the WWF Royal Rumble report. None other than Mean Gene Okerlund. It's got to be the GOAT when it comes to announcers. Oh, man. Especially we look back, some of the stuff from the 80s. Mean Gene, I don't know how he held his face straight interviewing Macho Man, interviewing Hogan. You know, you watch some of those promos, the ultimate warrior, you watch some of those promos and you just, <laughs> I'm dying laughing. I don't know how Mean Gene stayed uh, straight as can be. Big ups to him. Oh, a little promo from Sean pre-tape saying that Sherry is still going to be in his corner. Moving forward, he's going to be defending his belt at the pay-per-view against this man, former tag team partner, one half of the Rockers, Marty Jannetty. Of course, we all remember the day that Sean completely screwjobbed Marty and threw him through the barbershop window. That's something that's burned into our collective psyche. For any of us who were kids back when that happened in the early 90s, oh man, I was scarred. Just devastating to hear that crash of the the window pane and to see Janetti all bloodied up. And it was a disaster. Moments like that. Those are those those are those moments you just few and far between. As mean Gene Runs down the list of talent participating in the 93 Rumble. Look at this. We got Tatanka, Bob Backlund, IRS, Jerry Lawler, Mr. Perfect. Delivering a promo right now, Kurt Hennig, Mr. Perfect. They say he really was perfect at everything he did, and I believe it. I think the character they portrayed was one thing, but anyone who ever talks... Anyone from the industry who ever talks about Hennig, they just talk about how perfect he really was. And certainly from a technical standpoint in the ring, one of the greatest of all times. Ted DiBiase 
announced for the Royal Rumble. Kona Crush. Rick the Model Martel. Yokozuna in the Royal Rumble. That's one thing I just never got. I still don't get it. As a grown man who watches wrestling, I didn't get it then. I don't get it now. You get these five, 600 pounders who come into the Rumble and it's like, what? I mean, like, are we supposed to believe that they're going to win when we know every guy's going to be gunning for them? But then at the same time, are they too big that no one's going to be able to get them out, even though they're probably all going to come together as a group and try to get said heavy person out? It's just one of those things. I don't know. I just, maybe I never saw the excitement in it. I like to see a nice athletic contest, seeing these overly huge guys just kind of moping around the ring waiting to be tossed out by 10 guys ganging up on them was just never never my thing we have Virgil I think I saw the Undertaker advertised something else Tito Santana as El Matador guess you got to make do with the the gimmicks they give you Tito Santana of course hugely popular in the 80s Remember when he was one half a strike force with Rick Martel before he became the model. And then moving into the 90s, I guess, rolling with the changes, rolling with the punches. Vince called him in and said, I need you to be a matador. Sending him to matador school and everything. God bless Tito for doing it. Hacksaw Jim Duggan delivering a little promo. He's going to give 110%, he says. Like I said, one of the one of the entertainers, one of the wrestlers that made me forget I was Canadian and I just chanted USA for everything they did. You got to love it. What you also have to love is there is not even 10 minutes left in this episode of Monday Night Raw and there's technically uh, still a pretty big match that needs to happen, right? We got Undertaker versus Damian Demento. And uh, we're running out of time here. WWF's got to get a move on. Of course, they also want to promote the heck out of their pay-per-view. WWF Royal Rumble. I remember back in the day ordering these pay-per-views. I don't know what it was like where you were uh, you know, growing up or if you were already an adult uh, back in the day having to go down to like your pay to your to your cable company you had to pay for like this special brown box which was like the descrambler or whatever they called it then you had to pay for this other little black box which was like the decoder or whatever there was all these fancy names at the time and all i knew is that when we brought it home we got to rent it for a stupid high price it was like whatever it was 50 60 bucks at the time which was huge money Maybe I'm making that price tag up. Maybe it was like 30, 40 bucks. But I just remember it was super expensive. So it was a treat to get to rent the pay-per-views. And uh, the good news though was that you got to keep those boxes for the week. So you would get what we called pay TV for that whole week. And you would get to watch channels that you would normally never see. For for me, it was just like, like a TBS superstation, you know, with like, Three's Company or some other shows on it. Old reruns in syndication. Funny how you just don't think of that over the years and all of a sudden you're watching the debut episode of Monday Night Raw and you remember what it was like to rent a pay-per-view back in the day. Of course, now we have the WWE Network for the $9.99 a month price tag, which isn't $9.99 a month anymore. By the way, they have hiked the price and uh, it's just a different experience now getting to watch the pay-per-view on demand on all these different devices. It's a beautiful thing. We got to love the technologies, but something to be said about the specialness of the way it used to be. And now we're, uh, we're still seeing no sign of The Undertaker or Damian Demento with uh, like five minutes left in the episode. Instead, we're going back to an, a little recap of Kamala Kamala from an episode. Is this Superstars? And they're showing Kamala just getting scolded by his handler, Kimchi, and Harvey Whippleman. Of course, Kamala at the time was, was a heel. He was a bad guy throughout the 80s into the 90s. 
And I believe that we're witnessing the turn right here as Kimchi and Harvey Whippleman continue to make fun of Kamala and push him around. The Reverend Slick comes to his rescue. Good to see Slick still in the fold here into the 90s. Oh, and he's taking a hard right shot from Kimchi. This is not going to go well. Kamala not sure what to make of it. He's watching Slick, who just got assaulted. Smacking that belly. It only means one thing. When Kamala smacks that belly, you know he's going to wild out. And there it is, a big chop. To Kimchi, and now he's chasing Harvey Whippleman around the ring. What a rat Harvey Whippleman was. Man, what a good character. Just so easy to hate. Uh, here we go. Finally, Demento's in the ring. We're back live, and the gong has sounded. The gong has sounded. No light effects. Remember, it's 1993, but the gong is sounding and the Undertaker is making his way down the very short aisle. He's coming up the stairs already. Nice camera angle right underneath Taker there, creating that extra illusion of just how big the Undertaker is. What a legend. Mark Calloway, the Undertaker, accompanied by another legend. Paul Bearer. You absolutely have to love seeing the first episode of Monday Night Raw featuring The Undertaker. And this upcoming weekend at WrestleMania, The Undertaker in a boneyard match against AJ Styles. And one of the big speaking points with the current rivalry with AJ is, you know, he wants old school Undertaker. He wants he wants the scary Undertaker. He wants Undertaker when he was at his prime Undertaker. He doesn't want this soft version of Taker. And uh, isn't that something? All these years later, you know, to, to see the legend of the Undertaker still going strong, even if we're calling it Boneyard Match. But I think that was probably a purposeful decision considering the state of our world with the COVID pandemic and everything else happening right now. A graveyard match, likely not the right call. So the name matters. Sticking with Boneyard Match. And a big maneuver from Undertaker. Smacking Damian Demento's head down to the canvas as Paul Bear making his moaning and groaning. Looking at the, the mighty and mysteriously powerful urn. I always loved that as a kid. Who was in the urn, I remember thinking. I don't even think I knew what an urn was the first time I saw it. I think my... Mom and dad had to explain it to me. That's devastating. Undertaker doing old school here, but of course not old school at the time. That was just his move. Walking the top rope and coming down hard on the arm. You got to love things like that. Referencing where it is now versus when, when it happened back in the day. We never really thought twice of it. We would have never known on January 11th, 1993, that one day that move would be called old school. Being done by an older Undertaker. Big boot to the face now. From Demento, trying to get some offense against the Undertaker. We're running out of time here. Taking a look at the clock on Monday Night Raw. There's only like two-ish minutes left. You got to wonder how this match is going to wrap up so quick. But that's the way it goes when she's live, folks. That's the way she goes. Big leap from The Undertaker taking Damian Demento down and channeling the power of the urn. And already we're getting the big finish. Tombstone pile driver from The Undertaker. And the three counts. Classic pin, both hands over the chest of Demento, eyes rolling the back of his head, crowd shots, making the Arsenio Hall hoo 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 sign. One guy was wearing an Ico Pro shirt in the front row. 
Look at the dot matrix printer printed banner rest in peace with the skull and crossbones. This is great. They were they were able to get that match in. For some reason I remember as a kid, I could have swore the match got cut off for the Undertaker, but maybe that's that's an episode not this one. Maybe in a few episodes. I think there's like a a final match that starts and just finishes. Uh, without an ending it's the 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 broadcast finishes is what i mean and uh i must be getting the episodes mixed up but for this one undertaker victorious over damian demento good to see the undertaker back then and give us a nice little snapshot versus what he is like now as he moves into his upcoming weekend mania battle with aj styles as rog comes to a close we got vince interviewing doink the clown he's got his arm in a sling Makeshift sling, big crush coming down to confront the clown. You got to love crush. He was in demolition. He was the third man in demolition back in the day. And then transitioning to the Hawaiian Kona crush, entering this feud with the mysterious Doink the Clown. Oh, oh, and Doink just aggravating crush with a water gun squirt. Nice blast of water to crush his face. And now the chase ensues around the ring. As Monday Night Raw is about to close out here. We got Crush's music playing and score one for the good guy, I guess. But Doink still has got to get what's coming to him because he's still outside the ring laughing and giggling and making fun. So... We got we to gotta look forward to when Crush is finally going to get his hands on Doink. And now as Raw comes to a close, we're back outside the Manhattan Center. Bobby Heenan still pleading, trying to get in. Security not having any of it. Titan Sports Incorporated graphic takes us to the outside with Brain absolutely being denied entry to the first ever episode of Monday Night Raw. And there you have it. A full watch along. A WWE Network classic, the January 11th, 1993 edition of Monday Night Raw. And I want to say thank you so much to everyone who has watched along with me, like a couple of friends sitting back and watching the network, getting our money's worth while we're stuck, while we're stuck here, staying at home during this, uh, this real uncertain time. There's nothing like a little bit of old school WWF Raw or wrestling in general, really, to keep us together and to keep us sane. So from from me to you, I say thank you. I really, really hope that all of you and your families are staying safe. Just remember that better days are ahead, and uh, certainly we're going to get through this together, and we'll take it one day at a time as, uh, as, as we need to. So with that in mind, I want to say thank you, of course, again, for listening to the pilot episode, the debut broadcast of the Squared Circle Collection official podcast. My name is MJR, and I am looking forward to seeing you all again. Same place uh, with a brand new episode coming sooner than later. Until then, rock and roll, WWF for life, pro wrestling for life, and we'll see you on the other side. Rock and roll, my friends. Bye for now. The Squared Circle Collection, an Arden Sports Incorporated production.